0: I'm Euro. I'm Chris. I'm Eric. And And this this is Fork
1: Bomb. Bomb. Wednesday, August 23rd, 2017. Episode 15, Transmeta.
2: This episode is going to be a little bit different. We're going to be formatting it as uh, teaching you, Euro, about Transmeta and who they were and what they produced, and ultimately why they failed. They were really interesting. They had some potentially um, groundbreaking technology. And uh, Eric and I want to tell you about it.
1: Okay, well, I'm glad because I don't know anything about Transmeta, except that it's very possible that other members of the show don't know about it either. So you'd be teaching... Pretty much everybody. Uh, I'm sure there's people out there that know and maybe worked in Transmeta or with Transmeta, and that's great. But I, I'm guessing that there's going to be a vast majority of people that don't know. So I am, I am all ears. I, I, I want to know about Transmeta. Um, take it away.
2: So this is going to require a little bit of background. I'll start by saying Transmeta was a CPU or microprocessor manufacturer, and they were founded in 1995. Their goal was to have good performance, but with remarkably lower power consumption, and to be fully x86 compatible. But before we get into the details about Transmeta, we should talk a little bit about how CPUs work. Um, Eric, I'm going to try to give a rough overview of this. Mm -hmm. If I'm wrong at any point, please correct me, because it's probably a broken summary. Okay. As we all know, CPUs, uh, processors work with zeros and ones. But how those zeros and ones are made are handled via a, a uh, series of, of codes. It can be thought of as a code book. And the official name for that is an instruction set, which that works at the assembly level. So if you give a specific instruction, then that processor knows to do a, a specific thing. And so when we talk about instruction sets, that's what we mean when we say X eighty six or PowerPC or ARM. They all they are all different instruction sets. And those differing instruction sets create differing sequences of zeros and ones that then make things happen. Is that generally correct? Generally, yeah. Anything that you want to add to that?
0: Um well Kind of. I mean, every single CPU has, like, uh, registers that they store, store temporary information in, like, uh, that they call registers, which are accumulators, address registers, and storage registers. So that's an important part of how a CPU works as well, is that the accumulator collects the result of computations, the address register keeps track of uh, where a given instruction or piece of data is stored in memory, so that it knows how to get it back um and the storage register temporarily holds data taken from uh from what's sent to the memory and then of course you have your general register which is basically used for everything else
2: ah right don't
1: don't forget the execution units exactly
2: right what makes transmeta processors unique is that while they are x86 compatible x86 is not their native instruction set Instead, they have an instruction set called a uh, called very long instruction word, and that is its native. um, That is the instruction set native to the CPU. But what it does instead is through a technology that they call code morphing software. It takes x86 instructions and translates it. Into very long instruction word instructions, so the combination of very long instruction word and code morphing code so- code code-morp- morphing software potentially gave several distinct theoretical advantages to transmeta processors that we're going to get into here in a bit. Did they? Did they
1: do this? I mean, did they do this? Is was this a money issue? uh or or did they do this because they thought that uh VLIW or a very long instruction word uh did they think that was going to be the future and so they would make a a processor compatible with x86 but but not native x86 maybe they thought that VLIW was going to be the future and they just built something around it to for 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 them to for the transmeta processors to be able to support current software
2: do you want to take this one eric on why they did why they did what they did?
0: They were trying to come up with a means to make various uh, compatibility with not just the CISC architecture, which is the x86 architecture, but they were trying to do it with any other kind of processor as well, not just their VLIW, but for a good example is that they were trying to do things that were able to run java as a virtual machine natively as if it was as if it was designed for that cpu so they actually had an example where you could run the jvm inside the uh, crusoe crusoe processor so it wasn't just for x86 but they they had an idea that was trying to broaden the ability to to just basically imitate almost anything that you could possibly
1: think of
2: i see and along with that a lot of the cpu functionality was instead handled in software so say for example you have the the uh, code mor- the code morphing software the the more hardware you have the more power you use the more heat you heat that you generate and what they were trying to do is move a lot of the cpu functionality handled in software or handled in hardware into software and what that let them do was say for example Intel comes out and they add a new instruction set to the x86 spec instead of having to replace the hardware they c- they could add that instruction set that x86 instruction set into the code morphing software with a software update interesting which they actually did uh, uh, demonstrate doing
1: so theoretically this processor was also future proof Right. I mean, let's see, and I don't know how the instruction set would differ uh, with a with the with this particular processor, but I wonder if it would also be able to pull in things like x64 instruction sets, uh, given the memory limitations of 32-bit versus 64-bit. Uh, you know, it, it gets kind of gray, and I'm not a hardware expert, not to that level anyway. But I, I'm just wondering if later on, since x64 uh, the architecture was popular. It became popular after uh, AMD released their Athlon 64 processors. Transmeta, of course, came out before that. I wonder if they would have been able to, with a simple software update, make it to where it could also read X64 instructions.
2: I really don't know. I know that their first product was uh, 128-bit VLIW, and the one after that was 256-bit, but I don't know how that translates into... Emulating. yeah the
1: bits in memory and, and the way that the chunks are handled and 32 bit versus 64 bit and right
0: yeah the and the arithmetic involved in that so it if it was if they made a 256 bit then they could have definitely made a 64 bit processor with the CISC architecture
2: but there's a another advantage in that with a traditional x86 processor and keep in mind we're we're talking a time span of the year two thousand to when they launched their first product to two thousand and nine when they when they went under. So we're talking just just uh, traditional x eighty six not sixty four bit, but a traditional x eighty six processor can only do one instruction at a time, but a vliw CPU can do multiple instructions at a time. So they had Two products that came out. The first one was the Transmeta Crusoe, and as in Robinson Crusoe, which it, which which it was named after. And the second one was the ephision, The Crusoe was able to execute um, up to four instructions in parallel. So what it would do with um, x86 is it would. Um, it could execute groups of x86 instructions at the same time.
1: You could theoretically have a 33 megahertz Transmeta processor processing something like four chunks at a time, four bits of information at a time.
0: Not just bits, but in full
2: instructions.
1: Or oh, full instructions, right. That's, um, that's pretty impressive, actually.
2: Yeah. Right. And it was able to take the instructions that it was receiving and it was able to know, okay, these can be ran out of order, these have to be ran in order, um, which ones are dependent on the other ones. Theoretically, it could have given you large performance gains. Also, since it has to, it's essentially an emulator, but they didn't call it that because when you think emulator, you think slow. So instead they called it code morphing software. Mm -hmm. But what it would do is it would cache... The more frequently used x86 instructions, so that it wouldn't have to translate them again, which would uh, result in higher performance gains.
1: If if these if these processors could perf- could 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 actually read four bits at a, or four in full instructions at a time, th- these are I'm guessing they would be pretty good. And nowadays with uh, multi-threaded applications, maybe. Um, if, if applications could be designed to, of course, to handle the, uh, something like the Crusoe processor, um, that'd be very interesting to see the performance nowadays. Well, I mean, of course, it'd be a slow processor, but um, be, because of the clock cycles and whatnot, but uh, just comparing it to multitasking back then, it'd be interesting to see, you know, some multi-threaded apps from back then, uh, how, how it would stack up to this, uh, with, with this Crusoe chip versus chip versus uh, an Intel chip or an AMD, standard x86 uh, 32-bit processors.
2: I really don't know enough about hardware to say. Uh,
1: yeah, I'm also wondering about the the heat. Well, if they, if they were low-powered, then I guess the heat wasn't really
2: an issue. That's what they were trying to address. They did a comparison of a Pentium 3 playing a DVD, and it was at 105 degrees Celsius or 221 degrees Fahrenheit, whereas... A Caruso playing a a TM fifty four hundred playing a, a DVD set at forty eight degrees Celsius or one hundred and eighteen degrees Fahrenheit.
1: Wow! Both without cooling. Right, but that's pretty impressive.
2: Did but, it play back okay? I guess. I really don't know, but as it turns out, with any benchmarks done by the company, they're probably kind of biased and. And we'll get into that a little bit later. Okay. Um, yeah, I you, mean
1: it's really impressive still, but yeah.
2: Do you want to take it from here, Eric, or do you want to do you want me to
0: keep going? Um. Well, I wanted to make a mention that uh, Euro, you you mentioned like 33 megahertz for the like the speed before, but I wanted to update you on that and let you know that the act the the, the Transmeta Crusoe CPU actually went from 300 megahertz all the way up to one gigahertz, partially depending on the amount of voltage you applied to it. So at like 1.2 volts, it would do 300, but at 2.8 volts, it would go all the way up to 1,000 megahertz. So that was okay. a really fast processor.
1: What, 2.8 volts is a, quite a lot for a processor, actually. Yeah, yeah it it's is. Interesting <laughs> that the, yeah, it's interesting that the that the heat that that it actually didn't generate that much heat. Um I'm impressed uh, just by that alone cuz 2.8 volts uh, holy cow.
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> yeah, um. although, you know, I take that back. I mean, other other processors during that time, they they were they were pretty high too in the voltage. So, but still, it's it is it is quite high. Um all right. So uh yeah, 33 MHz was more of an example, uh but uh but yeah, I mean, I the speed is then comparable to the speed of chips at the time.
0: Yes, exactly.
1: Okay, and and add to that that it wouldn't just handle one single instruction, it would handle many times that because it would handle multiple instructions at a time. Kind of like a a multi-core CPU nowadays, I guess, uh, with multiple execution units.
0: Exactly. I mean, it's kind of the equivalent of what multi-threading is today. That whole hyper-threading idea is basically being able to run multiple instructions on a single CPU core.
1: I see. Okay, and
0: that's only two instructions. That that's not even compared to the four instructions that VLIW was doing.
1: Huh. Okay. So, Chris, I have to ask, why did it go bankrupt? I I don't understand. So far, everything sounds great. Is this one of those that sounds really good on paper, but then when they actually do it, it just fails terribly?
2: Well, we're we're skipping a a little bit ahead. I wanted to fill in a few details about VLIW. VLIW, the only thing written to its native instruction set is the code morphing software, and that is it. So the BIOS itself actually lives in the code morphing software translation layer. And one other advantage, since it's decoupled, since the native instruction set is decoupled from the x86 instruction set, is that they could drastically change VLIW without affecting the x86 instruction set at all? So it's kind of like an API. Um, but couple that with the um, their with Transmeta's power management technology called Long Run, which allowed the code morphing software the ability to dynamically adjust the voltage and clock frequency of the CPU, and theoretically, you had a technology that supposedly would have been capable of having better performance, if the same if not better performance, with far lower power consumption, um, far fewer hardware components, and much greater flexibility. In fact, there was even rumor before the CRUSA came out, due to how the code-morphing software works, of a hybrid x86 and PowerPC processor, but that never happened. So to get around to your question, the their first product, the Transmeta Crusoe, launched on January nineteenth, two thousand. So around then we had uh, Pentium threes, right? Uh,
1: uh w- when was it in two 2000? thousand? Yeah. Two thousands, you had Pentium threes. Yep.
2: Yeah. So I actually had a machine with a Transmeta Crusoe. It was an HP TC one thousand tablet PC. Um, probably the best designed laptop that HP ever has and ever will make. Um, But their first iteration had a Transmeta Crusoe, and quite frankly, the performance was god-awful compared to an equivalent Pentium 3. Um, It just did not perform. Um, And that's just not my my personal bias. Uh, The the problems with the Transmeta Crusoe was that power savings versus uh, performance did not live up to predictions. Um, in fact, what should have been its advantage with, the co- with how the code morphing software worked, it may have actually been a key cause of much of that lo- uh, uh, lower performance. And while they claimed full, X80- full x86 compatibility, some standard benchmarks failed to run, which brought that into doubt. So interesting. It it kind of flopped. I
1: uh, I wonder if that code morphing software was just it just gave it uh that much more overhead um that a uh, maybe a comparable Pentium 3 processor of the day uh I mean it it wouldn't it would just run everything natively. Um it didn't have a problem just running one instruction set at a time and uh, and the Crusoe would just just that CMS software uh, it, it needed all that extra instruction set to, or, you know, the ability to be able to read other instruction sets uh, all at the same time to be able to just keep up?
2: I don't know. Um, but maybe an, another part of it was by the time they actually launched, Intel and AMD had caught up uh, performance-wise and power consumption-wise. So by the time they actually launched, the um, the performance gains versus power consumption wasn't as good as what they were they were projecting relatively speaking
1: right and i remember uh maybe not too much after that um the atom came out and um that was also a slow processor and everything but uh, it did really well for things like um like epcs um you know, small laptops and things like that that the, that users wanted that extra battery savings versus performance
2: so it's funny that you mentioned the Atom, because their second product, the Ephicion, launched October 14th, 2005, which a 2004 model Aficion had roughly the same performance and power characteristics as an Intel Atom from 2008. And that product addressed many of the Crusoe's shortcomings and showed a roughly two times improvement over the Crusoe. Um... Eric, do you have anything further to add about um, why they flopped or why they didn't live up to expectations? Or I'm not
0: really sure what happened, why they had their, their fault shortcoming. Because I know, like you, I actually had my own uh, Crusoe-based laptop. And it was a Fujitsu Life... Life something? Lifebook. Lifebook, yeah. The Fujitsu Lifebook, which had a really nice touchscreen display. And for a laptop, this was amazing. So... I mean, it ran at 800 megahertz, I think it was, and I don't recall ever having a single problem with it, which was, for me, surprising, because, you know, most computers always have some kind of issue. Usually a small issue, but, you know, I mean, the thing where it just ran so good.
1: <laughs> so, you, I guess it's safe to say that the, even with the Efficient, the CMS part of the processor, that, um, that was still, it was still an issue as far as power.
2: And performance, concerned. I really don't know. Um, it didn't say that. I think that the um, the one that was really the big flop was the Crusoe.
1: Okay, and they probably they probably poured all their uh, all their marketing dollars and everything to that chip. So by the time the Efficient came out, it might have been almost too late.
2: Right, and so Transmeda was actually a a, a stealth startup, um, which I haven't many haven't heard of many stealth startups. Um and they Me either. And they they started in two thousand and five, but there was a lot of hype around them, so much so that their IPO performance of fifty dollars and twenty six cents on November two seventh, two thousand, wouldn't be surpassed until Google's IPO in two thousand and four. So there was a lot of um a lot of hype and speculation around them.
1: It's also during that time of the the dot com bubble and everything. I, I wonder if that had if that influenced
2: Transmeta. Interesting. It, it may have. Hmm. Um. But in 2005, they were structured, and so rather than being a semi semiconductor company, they began focusing more on being a a um, intellectual property licensing company. Um, Eric, is that what ARM does today? Uh, yes, I do believe so. I guess the big difference is it actually works for ARM and doesn't work for... Didn't work for Transmeta. Right. I wonder if...
1: And I don't know enough about these uh, intellectual property companies, but I'm guessing that they still do research and development for their own and then patent stuff. Right. ARM development still happens and things like that.
2: Yeah. And and they continue to improve upon it, but companies license... uh, um pay a licensing mm. fee to them to make those types of processors that conform to to their specs
1: okay yeah samsung and and other companies i'm sure do that
2: so in but then there was also a bit of a spat with intel um on october 11th 2006 transmeta filed a patent infringement lawsuit against intel i didn't um look into specifically what the patents were but it's just interesting that there was a lawsuit. But they settled in October 24, 2007, and Intel agreed to pay Transmeta $150 million upfront and $20 million per year for five years, in addition to dropping its counterclaims against Transmeta.
1: That should have been enough money. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you would think, but <laughs> you'd then think. In 2007, on February 7th, they shut down their engineering services. In 2009, on January 28th, they were acquired by a video processor company called NovaFora, and then in July of 2009, NovaFora went under.
1: Oh man, that all happened so quick.
2: Yeah, it just.
1: Wow, the splashed. whole thing collapsed. Wow. But wow, where's Jack Trammell when you need him?
2: Seriously. <laughs> but there were some notable employees which added to the hype. Um, Eric, do you want to talk about them at all?
0: So, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, Some of the the big-name uh, employees was uh, the founder of Linux himself, Linus Torvalds. He worked for Transmeta. Um, one of the Linux kernel developers, which was Hans Peter Anvi. And then a game developer that worked at ID Software between 1993 and 1996, Dave D. Taylor. Yep, that was during the
2: Doom years. Yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, yeah definitely. He was right. one of the guys that actually
2: helped make Doom.
1: I don't know what
2: his <laughs> middle initial stands for, but I'm just going to call him Dave Doom Taylor. Doom, Dave Doom
1: Taylor. Yeah, I like that, Dave Doom Taylor. Um, Eric, do you happen to know if Linus Torvald ever released a kernel specifically made for the VLIW
0: um, um, instruction set? I don't believe that ever happened. No, I know he talked about it because he did work for Transmedic, but with how quickly the whole thing fell apart, obviously, I just don't think there was really good time. I see.
1: Yeah, because I'm really interested in knowing how the chip would perform against a, an Intel or AMD chip at the time uh, with software that was specifically written f- for the VLIW instruction set. Well, it's um,
2: funny you should mention that. Okay. Because Linus did say something about that. Um, according to the Wikipedia page... In principle, it should be possible to optimize x86, co- x86 code to favor code morphing software, or even for compilers to target the native VLI- VLIW architecture directly. However, writing in writing in 2003, Linus Torvalds apparently dismissed these approaches as unrealistic. Huh. Also, yeah, he wrote I remember that. that the native Crusoe code, even if it was documented and available, which I guess it wasn't, was not very conducive to general-purpose operating system stuff. It had no notion of memory protection, no MMU for code accesses, so things like kernel modules simply wouldn't work.
1: Oh, well, that answers that.
2: Yep.
0: Uh, yeah, there was definitely those short shortcomings.
1: No memory protection. That that sounds uh, a little bit odd coming from it, it, this chip was released in the early 2000s and we have memory protection since what the 386 uh so it's it's just uh, interesting that this chip wouldn't wasn't supporting that uh hmm i mean that's that could be one of the reasons why why things like some standard benchmarks wouldn't run they're, they're probably looking for that memory protection and when it detects that the chip doesn't support it it, it may just it may just not run
2: Well, it was saying the the native Crusoe code didn't have memory protection, but x86 did, which it was emulating.
1: Emulating. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. Right. Okay.
2: So that's just why Um, it it wasn't conceivable to uh, compile directly to uh, VLIW.
1: I see.
0: It was just making actual VLIW instructions directly to the CPU without the code moving software in place that it would have been much more difficult to actually uh, program for and actually be secure enough.
1: So, I I don't know if this is the reason why um, Transmeta filed a patent infringement against Intel, but I heard and I, I believe that the Core 2 Duo chips are all X64 chips, all X64 instruction set chips that emulate X86 code. It just does it really, really fast and really efficient. So you can run 32-bit applications on 64-bit chips, which is the reason why you have uh, things like the Core i7 or whichever chip after... after the core duo. So whatever, you know, the core two duo and up, they all do the same thing, uh, as far as emulating the 32 bit portion. And, um, so I, I wonder if that, that had anything to do with the patent infringement lawsuit.
0: I think it actually had more to do with the power saving features. Okay. Um, because that was what their big, uh, big fight was against was, uh, Transmeta's own uh, patent portfolio and energy efficient technologies they they fought that uh, tooth and nail so I think it was more related to how they were tr- doing the voltage changes and stuff like that or you know various different ways that, that they were trying to that in AMD and Intel mostly Intel in this case uh, were trying to do more energy efficiency by changing things and mimicking their ideas
1: I see. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, with the time that it happened, too, the um, you know, it being two thousand six, the atom was probably just a few years away, so or yep. it was a few years away. So I'm sure it was in development during that time. So um, it's it's very likely that that's that's uh that's what happened.
2: Oh, so um, the what we were talking about with the ability to enhance uh CPU performance or add to the instruction set with a software update, that was. That was uh, demonstrated without a hardware respin in 2002 with an in-field upgrade, meeting a software download um, that enhanced CPU CPU performance of the Caruso on the HP Compact TC1000 tablet PC. That was the one that I had experience with, and it was used again in 2004 to add NX bit and SSE3 support. Um, and they were added to the transmeta uh fision uh uh product line without requiring hardware changes
1: yeah those are those are important things i mean the m m x technology the multimedia extensions from the Pentium, and then the s s e uh and et cetera they they they're i think they're at s s e four four point one something like that now so yeah those are extra instruction sets it's very interesting that you could just software update these and make it compatible with those. Um you know what I I just uh I was really curious and I looked up the uh the patent infringement um uh, the the Transmeta had sued Intel for and you're absolutely right Eric it is for the enhanced speed step um uh, yes. technology yeah from uh from Intel uh that Transmeta had sued them over yeah absolutely
0: yeah and the funny thing is is that Intel later sued them back
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: saying that that uh, Transmeta was infringing upon Intel stuff which was based on their Intel Core and the Core 2 Pentium chips uh-huh. saying that it was, you know, they did it first <laughs> 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 It's
2: like, wow, really guys? Yeah, right. but when they settled they dropped those counter clamps Yep right.
1: Well, this has been very informative over Transmeta um,
2: It could have been huge thank you.
1: They they could have been they
2: could have been if uh, if it would have worked. I mean, could you imagine hybrid processors? Processors that could do both x eighty that could do x eighty six power PC and ARM.
0: And maybe even the Atari twenty six hundred.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or
0: the Commodore sixty four.
1: You know, I wonder how development would have been if uh, for Apple. You know, that during that time in around, uh, when was it, 2005 or so? I forget. But whenever they switched over from the PowerPC architecture completely to the x86 instruction set, um, if the if the, uh, the Max, uh, what would have been the G5 at the time, would have been powered by Transmeta, then everybody would still be able to run the x86 code, um, you know, from when they switched over from PowerPC over to x86. That, that would have been interesting, but it didn't happen. Yeah, well, and
0: the funny thing is is that, as you said, the uh, Apple announced that they were switching to the Intel architecture in June
2: 2005. Mm-hmm. Oh,
0: yeah. So it was right there at that point.
2: Of course, technically, they switched from x86 to PowerPC back to x86, if you count Next Step. And they always right. had a build of... Um, they always had an x86, x86 build going, even when... Um, X didn't officially run on it that's true yeah
1: yeah but if if the um if the PowerPC chips had been instead transmeta chips i i guess uh you wouldn't have had those uh i mean there there are people that were angry because i think the last supported operating system was hmm i want to say snow leopard but i might be wrong leopard Leopard. Okay, last supported PowerPC operating system was Leopard. I think it used a. Uh, was it called Rosetta or something like that, where you could run both PowerPC apps and x86 yeah. apps? Yes. Right. <clears throat> so, I think... so there wouldn't have been a need for that if they would have just had Transmeta instead.
2: Possibly, yeah. Huh. Indeed, yeah.
1: So we need to do a, a what if episode on what if uh, Apple had uh, had just used Transmeta. <laughs> <laughs>
2: It would have been so cool to have had a uh, chip that could support just just be a standard PC, uh, be a power PC chip that would that could be a Mac, um, or that could run Mac software at the time. Uh, also be compatible with um, be Amiga compatible. I mean, just the possibilities are huge. And if they had opened imagine it up, imagine the
0: amount of emulation you could do with that.
2: Yeah, now we can, but back then. But also, if they had opened up their technology, open sourced it, um, it it would have gone so much further.
1: That is
0: very true. Yeah,
1: agreed. Right. Uh, I'm still. I'm waiting for that uh, Linux distribution, that VLIW compatible, full VLIW instruction set uh, native um, Linux distribution. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Transmeta OS. <laughs> um, I don't really have anything else uh to ask about Transmeta. I don't know if uh, do you have anything else to add?
0: Um not that
2: I can think of. I mean I don't either. I mean it's it's kind of a it, short it is. little blip in history, but a very interesting one.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean the one thing that would would have been interesting is seeing uh you know how back then Sun had their um uh, their specific oh, Java enhanced, uh, Java accelerating hardware. And I just wonder how Crusoe could have done that even better by doing it directly in the CPU. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan of Java or anything like that, but Java runs slow. And (laughs) (laughs) anything you can do to improve that when you actually have to use it is still a good thing.
1: Right. Java in itself is kind of like a mini transmeta. <laughs> that, wasn't it supposed to ma- be made so it can run on on everything?
0: Well, it was. Yeah, I mean, it was ru- right, one- right once right once, run everywhere.
2: Right, but it's right. an interpreted language. It's not emulating anything. Right. So the virtual, the Java virtual machines, you have different virtual machines compiled for each kind of processor.
1: Sure. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm I'm just comparing Transmeta. A CPU company to just software (laughs) and uh, to me it just seems like Java would be the the transmeta of software but yes I I see your point I mean you you definitely need the uh, the compilers that are written in the instruction set of that CPU
2: the lines do get blurry because there is interpretation being um, interpretation happening in in both cases so I mean where do you draw the line of is interpreting code emulation or is it just being an interpreter like uh like python or java or php Well
1: Im- imagine java one that needs an interpreter right running on a cpu that needs an interpreter <laughs> So you have you have two layers of interpreters so you can get from strictly java over to VLIW
2: We have to go deeper Right <laughs> Well, I don't have anything else. I don't have any other questions. Well then, if um, anyone would like to give feedback about this episode, or would like to suggest new topics, or would like to tell us where we made mistakes and what we're doing wrong, we can be contacted by searching for Forkbomb Podcast on Facebook, or by sending us a message on the Twitters at... The Twitters at Podcast, or by sending us an email at ForkBombPodcast at gmail.com. And we would love to hear from our audience, um, especially with new topic ideas. We uh, did receive a uh, new topic suggestion. Um, you know who you are. We're going to be doing it soon. And we think it's a really fantastic idea.
1: I can't wait. I'm super excited. And thank you very much for the suggestion. And
2: when we do, we'll give proper thanks and name names. So just hold tight. We'll do it. And a
1: virtual high five.
2: Yes. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, uh thank you, everyone.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Eric. Thank you, Euro.
0: And thank you.
1: Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Eric. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good night, Euro. Good night, Chris. <laughs> Good night, Bob. Good night, Billy Chris. Bob. Good night, Eric. Good
2: night, Baba Sue. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, good night. Good night. Begin recording now.
2: Beep beep. <laughs>
1: uh what are we doing? I'm Euro. I'm Chris. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Eric, I think. <laughs> 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 nice uh, Okay, okay, alright all And right. where are hero. <laughs> Wednesday, August 16th Whoa, it's not August 16th Dude, what are you doing to me?
2: Uh, it's, should I accidentally Ron, Ron Burgundy you?
1: Are we ready? Yeah ready. Uh, Do this okay.